Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Season 5, Episode 4 of Music is Not a Genre, MXG. Not doing hand gestures this week. It's been a crazy week, and I've got a new setup, as you people watching video can see. Um, we're trying some different things, so we'll see how it goes. And, um, you know, I'm keeping it minimal. Also, don't want to knock down my lovely diorama. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening. Don't forget, you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash music is not a genre. Please join us there. It's a great little family. I'd like to grow. The audio version is at anchor.fm slash music is not a genre. You can also donate there. The public hub. Free as always to subscribe is youtube.com slash Nick DiMatteo. And everything that I'm doing, uh, music, podcasts, and everything else, you can see at nickdimatteo.com. Last but not least, and most important for me, please support my band Rec, R-E-C, at recarea.bandcamp.com, where, if you've been following along, I mentioned we just released a brand new album of sorts. It is Rec Collection, the best of Rec 2007 to 2020. Two volumes, I'm calling it two volumes, who knows, these days, 30 songs from eight albums, the best stuff from Rec, and the best place to start with Rec or to revisit Rec. All of the songs have been remastered. Go to recarea.bandcamp.com, it's the first one there, or you can stream it anywhere you stream, just look it up. Rec Collection, the best of Rec 2007 to 2020. Thank you. Let's get to the meat right here. And that is this week's topic. One of my all-time favorite bands and a hometown favorite, especially The Roots. Things come together alive. So when I put a podcast together, I always look for an angle. You know, I look for uh, not just the topic, which is the band or, or what have you. But what else does that say about anything? Like, for example, uh, last week when I did James Taylor, I was talking about what makes a singer-songwriter a singer-songwriter, something like that. With The Roots, wow, they already come so jam-packed with ideas and philosophies and topics and, and, and their breadth and their depth. There really wasn't much for me to add, if anything, at all. It's more just kind of summarizing what the roots are, what they mean to me, you know, kind of as I always do. And that's that's what I'm giving you this week. If you're a fan of the roots, you may already know where I'm going with a lot of it. If if and and please 
come along for the ride because there's a lot of great stuff. If you're not a fan, if you don't have any idea who the Roots are, or if you've heard of them because of Jimmy Fallon, let's say, um, I'm going to say right out that, hey, great. Uh, If you heard them on there, I'm glad you heard the Roots on Jimmy Fallon. And uh, that's all you know then you're going to want to listen through to this podcast because you're going to hopefully learn a lot and maybe gain an appreciation of where they come from, what they do, and possibly where they're going. So let's start with the title. My title, Things Come Together Alive, is uh, is just like The Roots, it's an amalgam. It's, it's a combination of things. If you do know The Roots, you know I'm referring to a couple of their albums, uh, Things Fall Apart, and... The Roots Come Alive, which were released in the same year, I believe 1999, and that's the main reference for that, but it's also making a point. Things come together alive, meaning they are one of the few that I know of live uh, hip-hop bands, meaning live instruments. They have used electronic instruments and, you know, uh, uh, drum machines and things like that, samples and stuff in their recordings. But overall, they are a live band. They are a band, as you would know if you saw Jimmy Fallon. Okay. Uh, And that is still an anomaly in the hip hop world. It it kind of all pretty much always has been. I, I think it always has been really. And it's it's the exception to the rule that hip hop needs to be uh, based in electronic instruments. So that's the alive part. Yes. Uh, It also implies the title inclusiveness. There is, there is such an an inclusiveness to what the roots do. And in particular to the uh, attitude and knowledge of uh, Questlove. And he's just, he is a musicologist himself. And that feeling of, Anything goes. If it works, it works. Uh, let's explore this. Let's put this in there. That's a big part of what the Roots do. And yes, I threw a teeny Beatles reference in there. Come together. Things come together alive. Because, uh, you know, one of the things Questlove knows a lot about, uh, besides music in general, is drummers. And he has, in the past, praised Ringo for his minimalist drumming for never doing more than what the song deserves or needs and the subtleties therein and I bring that up because I think that's how Questlove drums he is not a he's not a flashy drummer and and I think we often mistake flash for skill and some of it is skill you know, I've I've talked about this in other podcasts when it has to do with shredders. You know, those those guitarists who, the lead guitarists who just feel like the faster they play, the more notes they play, the better it is. When you can have subtleties of phrasing and form and and melody and all of that stuff and even rhythm, with with slower and fewer notes and things like that. And I think that that's that does kind of embody the way Questlove. Uh, co-produces the way he drums, you know, etc. And I'll get more into some of the other stuff that he's done. So, first of all, Philly. I've done an episode on Philly. I've talked about Philly bands. And you know, if you've been following along, that I am from Philly and the Philly area. Born, born in Philly, raised just outside of Philly in New Jersey. And I'm a big fan of Philly music in general. 
And this is a band that I am proud to say is from Philadelphia. Their, their second, their third album, really, their second major labor album is called Illadelph Half-Life. They are constantly making references to Philadelphia, uh, obscure references that only uh, Philly people would know. Uh, or, like I said, Illadelph uh, is kind of their nickname for it, or the 215th, which that was the main area code, you know, at least, you know, for many, many years growing up. Uh, 215 is the main uh, Philly area code. And anytime that they would say 215th, that, that I'd get a rise out of that. It's like when I uh, was really into G-Love and I did the episode on G-Love, that same thing, constantly making references to Philly. And the thing is, Philly has always been a great music town, but it's also always been a funky music town. Jazz, a lot of the development of jazz, especially in uh, the 40s and 50s, happened in Philadelphia. Uh, and... I mean, you know, jazz is funky, right? Uh, Philly Soul, Philly, Philadelphia International Records in the 70s. I mean, any, anybody who thinks of Philly often thinks of Philly Soul and uh, in terms of music. And then, yeah, Gamble and Huff and all of that should absolutely be one of the first things that you hear. A lot of early hip-hop came from Philly. And then, of course, you have Fresh Prince, who, uh, you know, Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff come from Philadelphia. And then, like I said, G-Love. And and the thing that also, uh, I would say, characterizes a lot of these artists is, like the Roots, they like to throw in things other than what you would expect the genre to have. And being from Philly and being heavily influenced by what went on in Philly and growing up there and listening to music in Philly, both live and the radio, uh, which I will again say, and I've said this before, Philly has much better radio stations than New York City. It still does. And uh, great music fans. If you're a band or an artist of any kind, solo, whatever, go play in Philadelphia. You will really appreciate that. And, th- and that feeling of inclusiveness is in the music. It's that it's if you've ever listened to rec music, you hear how many diverse influences there are in there and sounds. The same can be said of any of the bands that I just mentioned, especially, you know, in, in this case, the Roots. So live instruments, right? That was their hallmark. That was the thing that they first became known for. Oh, here's a hip hop band in the age when no one was doing this uh, who had live musicians you know and as i said they eventually incorporated more electronic elements and samples and things into their recordings but have always maintained that core liveness of what they do and their live album the roots come alive is one of the very 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 multiply that by 20 or a thousand few live albums that i actually enjoy that are not jazz you know or classical uh listen to you you get something from it. You don't. You don't necessarily need to listen to it. You get as, as much from it from their, you know, studio material as you do from that. But you can hear how incredibly dynamic and what great performers they are on that album. And I'll get more to that. I read that the first hip hop band to use live instruments was Stetsasonic. Uh, that's not been verified. If anybody else knows of a band before Stetsasonic that used a lot primarily live instruments. Um, you know, I'm not talking about one-offs or collaborations or things like that, but an actual hip-hop band that used primarily live instruments. Let me know, because I'd like to know more about that. Um, that kind of thing gained uh, momentum because of the roots in the late 90s, which converged 
with the neo soul movement, and they did they worked with a lot of neo soul artists, and I'll mention some of them a little bit later. And then it kind of fell off, and and we get the normal and you know equally good electronic based hip hop. But then you have somebody like Anderson Pack who plays his own drums, and I you know don't know a whole lot about him, and uh, even outside of Silk Sonic, you know. But I know that I, I've seen him work and do his actual vocal performance while he's playing drums, and that's something that's incorporated. Uh, there are other bands out there, much lesser known hip hop bands who use live instruments. And I think it's worth checking out, if only just for a variation, just to hear that it's not, again, it's not necessarily about the instrumentation. If there's a dyna- dynamism in the performance and the songwriting is solid, then, you know, either either or could work. But the community whether it's the hip-hop community or the music community at large, has not completely embraced that aesthetic, that live instrument aesthetic. And that is absolutely true for The Roots, who started in the late 80s in Philly and self-released their debut album, Organics, in 1993 to absolutely no acclaim whatsoever in the States. They went to London and started getting buzz in London. So they had to go to Europe to break through. And I'm not going to dwell a lot on this because this may this isn't the perfect match for the topic. But again, it shows why there is no really no central theme here that I can, you know, discern from this week's podcast because there are so many mini themes that fit. And one of them is a lot of alternative uh, bands, music, meaning music that does not fit like snugly into a certain genre. A lot of them have to go elsewhere to become successful because the U.S. music machine, A, and in many ways the at-large music fans, I'll call it, uh, have a hard time embracing music that, that isn't clearly defined unless there's something deliberately quirky about it, whatever, or retro or whatever other thing, you know, kind of thing that you want to, you know, uh, throw in there. If, and this is a perfect idea when you're talking about the roots, that, that sense that what else was going on in in the hip hop community at the time, not just at the time, but before and after then didn't fit with what they were doing. And they had to go somewhere where music of different sorts is more widely accepted. And I'm harping on this slightly because a lot of Rex airplay or streaming happens overseas, happens in Europe and happens even in in Asia, happens a lot in South America. And I believe that's because the the music that Rex does is not easy to define in many ways and so because it's hard to categorize it's hard for the u.s market to swallow doesn't mean it won't happen there have been a lot of bands including this week's uh subject who have had to go to somewhere else to break through and then came back to uh, acclaim and success in the states uh that happened with uh their 95 album do you want more which was a lot like Organics. It had that kind of jazzy sound to it. 
very much like a tribe called Quest or De La Soul or Diggable Planets, the, 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 those, you know, big names from that era who were already successful at the time. Uh, I mean, the Roots actually name check some of them as if to say, we are not just people who sound like that. And I completely get that because, no, they're not. They're much more than that. But there was a, they, the, you know, why mention that unless there was people saying that, yes, you sounded like that. And that's, again, somewhat of narrow thinking. Oh, there's jazziness to it. So it's these bands. But I get it. And I liked those bands, too. You know, uh, that I think is something that's always been kind of important to me is is to point out that bands uh, who... who sound like other bands it's not that most of them don't get butt hurt some do but most don't it's that they want you to understand they're their own you know and at the same time i think there's a real um you get kind of like i know for for me i'm thinking chuffed i don't know why because i thought london uh when someone says to you oh you sound like such and such sometimes it's a surprise Sometimes you're like, oh, I wasn't going for that at all. And sometimes you're like, yes, exactly what that I was going for. But the greatest thing is somebody heard your music and they're comparing you to something that they like, you know, or that, that they think you sound like, which I think is kind of cool. And I am going to go through a discography and I want to get too far into that yet because that will take up probably the second half of this uh, episode. Let me just hit some main points here with the roots other than what I've already said. Let's just start and get it out of the way. The uh, One of the founding members, Malik B., died in 2020. Nah, I think 49 years old or something like that. So, as always, death is dumb. It's ridiculous. And, I'm very, and we're all very sad to hear that, especially none more sad than the people in the roots. Uh, Razel is a name that you should know. Founding member, I believe, no, not a founding member, but a, an early member who was prominent in the 90s albums. And I mention his name because he is probably to this day still my favorite beatboxer. And that's probably because he was the first beatboxer that I heard other than, and you may not be able to classify him as a beatboxer, and I mention his name, Michael Winslow, whose ability to create sounds with his voice and his mouth was absolutely insane. If you don't know Michael Winslow, look up Police Academy or Michael Winslow. Uh, but Razel was the first in the music community where I was like, oh my God, I for a while thought that that was actual scratching or whatever he was he was imitating. And, and then, you know, realized through listening, that's just a human person doing those sounds. And now there have been plenty of people who've been able to do that. And that's a specific kind of beatboxing. Not all beatboxers are intending to sound like the genuine instrument. You know, like the dude in pentatonics who can very closely imitate electronic drums and, and stuff. But the ones who do, of the ones who do, I feel like Razel is someone you really should look up. Um, uh, Black Thought and Questlove are kind of the primary members, the longstanding members who've been there since the beginning are still there. Amir Thompson, Tariq Trotter, uh, reverse those, um, yeah. Uh, and each of them have had uh, lots of side projects that I, some of knew, some I knew, some I didn't know. When I did uh, the the Cheat Codes uh, podcast, where Black Thought collaborated with Danger Mouse, I read up and heard about this, his Streams of Thought series and all of that. And, of course, other things. He's done a little bit of acting and shown up on, like, Sesame Street, things like that. And then, really, the, the main dude is Questlove in many ways. 
And his Summer of Soul, please go see that. If you have not seen that movie, go see Summer of Soul. Uh, I know Questlove has written a bunch of books. He's um, a great DJ and really enjoys the art of DJing, which I've talked about before. So, you know, that's something I find interesting. And now since I'm getting into... Well, let me. I'll do this first. No, I won't. I'm gonna. I'll do it when I get to it in the discography and in, in in the chronography, which I just finished. Actually, there were a couple of albums that I hadn't heard from them, and I needed it too. I needed to make sure I got in there and heard everything, and I did. And I'll get to those in a second. But the last thing I'm gonna say, since it's a great way to kick off the discography, is if you know the roots intimately, you know that they have a really awesome numbering system for their tracks, which is on organics. The first track of that album is track one. Duh, right? But then you get to their second album, Do You Want More? They don't start from one. They start from, I don't remember what it was, 10, 11, 12, 13, whatever it is. However many tracks on organics, whatever the next number was, Do You Want More? And then on the album after that, Illidelph Half-Life, they started with it. And they've done that consistently through their career where they don't just start a track one for each album. They just continue the numbering. They just continue, you know, if you're, if you're doing that in Word and you're doing, you know, a list and you want to start or add something to the list and for some reason it starts back at one and you're like, nope, and you right-click and say continue numbering. They did that in real life, hee-hee. <laughs> and I love that. It felt right to me because... I always thought, well, that's because they're saying, well, it's all a body of work. It should all be considered as one. Don't judge us on just one album or on one phase of our career. This is um, us on the whole. It's continuing this. And then I read, because I wanted to see why did they do it? And Questlove said, guess what? It's a continuation. Each, Each album is a continuation of the work that they do. So, you know, it's not... It, you know, you don't have to be a scientist or a detective to figure it out. But I thought it was cool that I sort of guessed that. Um, let's get into the discography now. Uh, I don't have organics. If you look behind me, I'm afraid to move. Because this is these speakers are not the greatest speakers to put, um, you know, anything on, really. Because they're puffy. They're awesome, puffy 70s speakers. And the, these have fallen several times. Um, and I listen to their CDs. I don't listen to CDs anymore, but you can see what a fan I was if I grab stack one and don't knock it down and show you that there's five CDs in there and I'll get to stack two. There's another five in there. That's not their entire collection, but it's close to it, actually. And I talked about organics. Didn't know it existed until recently because it was not in stores when I was buying these and it was not, uh, it is not on streaming services. I listened to it on YouTube and it's uh, 100% worth listening to. Look it up. Uh, if you're not a Roots fan, it wouldn't be the place I start, but it, but if you're a completist or, or of any sort or a Roots fan in general specifically, yeah, then start there. But their major label debut, Do You Want More, 1995. Again, jazzy like the first album. My favorite songs on there, Proceed, Mellow My Man, You Ain't Fly, The Lesson Part 1 is probably, I would say probably the top one on there, although Mellow My Man is really close. Second, and I bought that CD in 1999. You'll understand why when I get there. 
1996, they came out with Illadelph Half-Life. When I saw the title of this, I was like, yes, of course I'm going to own this. And this, is, this took them away from the, mostly took them away from the jazzy sound. They did do still some jazz stuff in there, but they incorporated lots of different sounds and electronic instruments and, and stuff like that. It, you know, uh, even some uh, orchestration, which they would continue throughout their career. My favorite songs from this album, I'll show it to you again. If you're only listening, look up Illadelph Half-Life. I don't know, you'll see the cover. Push Up Your Lighter, What They Do, Questlove versus Scratch, The Token DJ Cut. That's a Rozelle, uh, you know, a ca- not cameo, um, Spotlight, basically. Concerto for the Desperado, also awesome song. Those are my favorites. Then we get to their big breakthrough album, the one that pretty much solidified their success, if not quite yet their longevity, and that is Things Fall Apart. 1999. Huge year for the roots, huge year for a lot of music, huge year for huge year for neo soul, and as I said, that was also the same year that they released the Roots Come Alive. Uh, I'm going to show that to you right now because I'm not going to talk much about it, but just to show you that um, that that you know what is that? Looks like an SM58, right? Look at this. Whoop. There is the mic that I'm using to record this podcast. I always use an SM58, and now I've messed up this, and you can see it, but that's cool. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. But 19, I also an EP called The Legendary, which I'm sorry I have not heard. Uh, boy, oh boy, there's a lot to listen to when you're prepping for a podcast. But I can't say enough about Things Fall Apart. This made me fall so hard in love with The Roots that that's why I went back and bought Illadelph Half-Life and Do You Want More and can have continued to follow the roots ever since then uh, almost everywhere they go it's uh, one thing I said to my wife earlier today it's a near perfect album and I say near because I don't think any album is actually perfect but this is this is an album that you can listen to from beginning to end and just absolutely love Every single one of those songs is a favorite of mine, but if I had to knock it down, it's not much of a knockdown, but I'm going to mention the next movement. Dynamite, without a doubt. Ain't saying nothing new. Double Trouble, 100% Dundee, Adrenaline, You Got Me, which was the hit from that album featuring Erica Badu. And it's important to mention because the Roots were uh, one of the bands who really ushered in the success of the neo-soul movement. You had Erica Badu, you had uh, Soulquarians, you had D'Angelo they worked with, Common they worked with, Badu, of course, they worked with, Jill Scott they worked with, even Most Def, Yasin Bey, who they worked with, and Talib Kweli, both from Blackstar, amazing band, amazing solo artist as well, um, Musique, or Music Soulchild, guy from Philly, uh, Cody Chestnut, neo soul or neo soul ish or adjacent artists. The roots have worked with all of them, and they, yeah, they really helped. As with all of those people, like Macy Gray, like bring all of that into the forefront in that era with that neo soul. And uh, you know, I guess that's all I'm saying about that. So then you have 2002, and so. Anytime a band puts out a giant album that is their huge breakthrough, like let's say the Joshua Tree for you two, the next album is scrutinized, you know, and then you get something like 
rattle and hum, which was a, I think, a deliberate sidestep, but also, um, I think, underrated in a lot of ways. Why? Because the album before it was their huge breakthrough. Same can be sort of said for this, except for the fact that this won a lot of awards. It's the album called Phrenology. And when I re-listened to it, I realized what an absolutely amazing album it is. And I kind of knew that already because I needed a Roots song for our wedding playlist last year. And I wanted it to represent the Roots, but also fit in with the kind of upbeat, you know, uh, feel of the ceremony, or not the ceremony, but the reception and everything and where that the rest of the mix was going. And I chose a song from Phrenology called The Seed 2.0, Cody Chestnut song that they redid with Cody Chestnut. Uh, yeah, and that song made me pick up the drumsticks again. It's not something I've actually uh, done much in my life, but I've always wanted to do more of. It's because of that song that I decided, oh, I need to I need to know what it feels like to play that beat. Seed 2.0. But also love, Sacrifice, Rolling With Heat, Thought It Work, the second one. Oh my God, I absolutely love that. Uh, Complexity with Jill Scott, Thirsty, which is a fun little track. Then you have 2004, and I'm going to again pivot here very slowly so that I don't knock stuff down. Another five, right? Yes, and you have the tipping point. Boom. And this was 2004. And, you know, at that point, they'd had their big breakthrough. They had, a, they had more critical acclaim with phrenology. And they could, they, who knows, what they could have done. Each time they've released an album, they've gone in different directions. They've brought along some of what they have done and they've added new things or maybe gone back and picked up something they hadn't done in a while, whatever. And the tipping point, 2004, uh, really has that kind of feel of, I feel like phrenology and the tipping point are kind of akin. You know, you kind of have that, that same, and even game theory, and we'll get there in a second. And that's uh, my favorite songs from this album, Tipping Point. Show you again, if you just imagine, look up the album Tipping Point for you listeners. I Don't Care, Don't Say Nothing, Duck Down, which is a super crisp song. And the sound on Tipping Point to me is a lot crisper, I think, than, than a lot of what had come before. A little, I mean, there's a little bit of that on um, Phrenology. But prior to that, they like to use a lot of delay and reverb and stuff. And I find that kind of fun because you don't get that, uh, that much playfulness in a lot of hip-hop stuff. Uh, and then Din Dada is the last uh, song on this album. And if you know hip-hop history, you know Din Dada. You know, but listen to their version and and see where they go with it. You know, just imagine Questlove as an active participant in that song. Uh, Then Game Theory comes out in 2006. That's a heavier album, you know, in in a lot of ways. I mean, there's seriousness on all of their albums um, and playfulness uh, pretty much, too. But, the, you know, I, I believe that the last few albums had a lot more of that kind of heavy, you know, um, social and political commentary on it as a whole that that those albums were kind of shaped by it whereas it was featured on other albums but those albums weren't shaped by it my favorite songs from game theory are don't feel right and here i come and here i come i forgot it was from that album it's one of those songs where you're like okay 
they've they've grown, they've evolved, they're growing in different directions, but they still got that old school feel. And that's that here I come to me and with with their kind of new area twist or whatever you want to say it. After 2006, I feel like they were getting more and more esoteric. And it's interesting to me that at that very same time in that era, they not only started collaborating I mean, they already they always had guest people on their albums, but they started collaborating more on other people's stuff like, uh, you know, like direct one on one collaborations. They also started on Jimmy Fallon. And so a lot of things kind of shifted for them. But then you, you have 2008's Rising Down um, and great album. It's not my favorite, but I do like the songs Get Busy. Becoming Unwritten has an excellent beat. Uh, Lost Desire. There was a song they did with Patrick Stump from Fall Out Boy called Birthday Girl, which was not on the album because they thought they liked the song and it was released, I think, as a single or separately. But uh, they didn't feel like it fit the vibe, which I believe is absolutely true. So if you look on this version of the album, which is the CD, you look closely, you won't see it. It is on the streaming version now. It's called a bonus track. Listen to it. It's kind of cool. It's a nice, uh, you know, mix of mix of genres. And then you got 2010s. So pretty prolific, all things considered. A lot was going on in their careers. How I got over, which to me was a, in a sense, a return to form because it had certain elements that they maybe didn't have on Rising Down. But it also, again, as always, started including new things and. Uh, you can tell that they were absorbing the changes that were happening in music around them as well. And uh, Dear God 2.0, Radio Days, How I Got Over, the title track, The Day, Right On and The Fire are my top two for this album. And then Tunnel Vision is like really fun, kind of almost acapella thing, or might be acapella fully. Uh, Yes. The last CD that I myself own, because as you know, after 2011 or even a little earlier, I stopped buying CDs, is this Wake Up. It's one of those ones that are made of cardboard, you know. You can take a look at it. Uh, here's the fold-out. I can do that for the visual people. Uh, and that was a collaboration with John Legend. And it was covers. It is covers, whatever. And to me, this is one of the great ways to do a covers album. There's there's other ways to do great covers, and I've talked about that before. I won't get into it. But they really kind of made statements by the songs they chose and to me brought out elements of John Legend's voice that I'm sure he subsequently used, but that up until that time I hadn't heard, you know. And uh, my favorites... Um, Hard Times would be, that's the opening track, Love, Love. The, open that album, it makes you want to listen to the rest of it. And then I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free. Um, I remember, though, having a car at the time, listening to this CD over and over and over and over again, because it was, to me, a very successful collaboration in that it played on the strengths of both artists, both The Roots and John Legend. Uh, there, you know, Then they did... A collaboration the following year, 2011, with Betty Wright, the legend, for the movie Betty Wright the Movie. And I didn't know that existed until recently, so I just listened to it. And great is another one where, yes, these two artists fit very well together. And 
it, you know, with I think both with John Legend and Betty Wright, exploring certain facets of who each all these artists are together. It's not that it brought out anything particularly new or unexpected. It just was a good, solid fit. And then you have their 2011 album, Undone. I'm going to hold my hand up like I'm holding a CD because I don't have any more of these. But just pretend it's there. You can do the graphics. Just send this part of the video to me where you just put Undone's cover in my hand right there. Got it? Three, two, one. Uh, a good album. Just a damn good album. And uh, it, it again shows that artists who are always have their ear to the ground and always have a passion for what they're doing will always make good music, even if they're changing as they're doing it. One time, great song. The other side with the with ha the the name other side the word other side is written as one word. Now that brings up something interesting for me because. Rec has a, well, Rec has, you know, his, the Rec's new album is, is the compilation of the 30 tracks from the eight albums. Uh, the next album is going to be covers and movie music and stuff. But Rec's new album, upcoming album of new material, there is a song where I use the word other side as one word. And having revisited this album undone, my thought was, did that? Did I absorb that into my consciousness eleven years ago, and it popped back up, and I'm using it now, or was it just a coincidence, or was there a similar mindset and aesthetic going for why do you make that word, those two words, into one word? And I think it's honestly the third one. It could be a combination of all those three, but I think it's you feel a kinship with certain artists and the way that quest love absorbs and, and then spits out and then interprets and all that music is if not sonically similar to what I do, I think it's aesthetically and philosophically similar. And there you go, you know, and I don't even know if he titled that song. I'm just guessing lighthouse. Oh man, another good song. And then there's a four track, like a four movement thing at the end of this, and I believe this is one of their concept albums, that's just beautiful. That's just straight-up orchestration. And weird, you know, connection here, but I was listening back to some of Chicago's old albums. I was on a long car trip, and I do that sometimes, and their second album has a tremendous amount of orchestration that forgoes other elements. It's not it's not a string section on a, in a, on a rock song. And that, to me, is what this end of Undone is. It's just straight-up beauty, you know, of a different type, of the, of the orchestral type. Then, another album I didn't know existed, 2013, another collaboration with Elvis Costello this time called Wise Up Ghost. And, you know, do you remember this? I like to throw that into every episode now. I don't remember this. Sometimes I'll say that and I actually remember what I'm talking about. I don't remember this album at all. And I'm an Elvis Costello fan, too. I have not done his chronography. I intend to at some point. Uh, his voice lends itself very well to working with the roots. Um, I didn't listen through it enough to really pick out favorite songs. But it's one of those where I don't think it was quite as strong a fit as Betty Wright and John Legend. But... It did, it did show that you could put two 
different aesthetics together and come out with something good. And I think it's worth listening to. And then the last album they released so far called uh, Dot, 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 and Then You Shoot Your Cousin, 2014. Uh, You know, I think when it first came out, it fell through the cracks for me. And then I re-listened to it, and the songs Never Understand and The Coming really stood out. In fact, The Coming is now one of my favorite Roots songs. And I I have to go back and listen to it again because, like I said, it's the last thing they've put out. And they've been busy with so many other things. But one of the things they've been busy with is new material. I read that in 2017, they said that very soon they're going to release another album. Didn't happen. At the time, they had uh, just under 300 songs or parts of songs recorded. I read recently that they intend to put out an album called Endgame soon and that now they have about 700 songs recorded and apparently i think one of their manager died i believe and 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 it's kind of like a brian epstein thing where you know there was so much he was the rudder in a lot of ways and helping them say this is this is what you do next this is your good material etc etc and when you don't have that guidance as an artist especially your mind blows up because you're constantly creating and you, you don't always know yourself what's what's the stuff that should be out next, what goes on what album, what's the good stuff, whatever. Some artists can do that. I've learned to do that because I've had to, but I know I'm not perfect at it. And I think when they lost that guy, that kind of slowed down what they were able to put out because what do you do with all this material? Either way, I'm excited to hear it whenever the hell it comes out, which I hope is soon because... 2014 is a long time ago, and it's so eight years probably is going to be nine before their albums. That's too long for a band this great to wait to put out more music. Um, And that brings me to one of my favorite parts of every podcast, of course, which is what song of Rex or mine fits in or was clearly influenced by The Roots. And that right now is a song from Syncope for the Weird which is not on the new compilation. Uh, So you look up Syncope for the Weird, damn you. And it's called Let It Wreck Your Mind. And yes, it's a hip-hop song. Yes, it's me uh, rapping, and I created all the music and all of that stuff. And it started with me walking down a uh, wooded path with my phone, and I had some the very first lyrics of the song... Uh, was me having a desire to want to say something, to open my mouth, trying to find a way to rhyme. Uh, first, I have to have something to say, but I'm not thinking straight. I'm blinking eight times a second because life is wrecking my mind. It was about just the stress that I was under at the time and trying to sort through all out and figure out what of value did I have to say. And the song ends up being about opening up your mind, letting music and thought and ideas and connection with other people wreck your mind like it like break down the walls in your mind i think is what it's about you may you may come to something different i don't know i'd like to know what you think about it and stick around and listen to it because it's coming up in just a few seconds and also please search for it let it wreck your mind on all streaming services at wreckarea.bandcamp.com thank you as always for watching and listening my objectives here which i hope we're achieving our music conversation and connection, and I will talk to you next week.
trying to find a way to rhyme. First, I gotta have something to say, but I'm not thinking straight. I'm blinking eight times a second, cause life is wrecking my mind. Life is wrecking my mind. Remember that the root note, I'ma feel it Music is a part of me And I'ma reveal it I put it out for the world I don't care if you steal it Open that seal And let it wreck Your mind Let it wreck your mind If you're not gonna go for it Give it all you got or you get nothing to show for it Be ready to take every bold body blow for it Open yourself and let it wreck your mind Come on I took one for me I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting No one, nobody is gonna show some love to me If I be hating and hating and hating and hating what I gotta give, what I wanna get But until I got that set I'm gonna make the safer bet I'll take one for me I'm an imitator innovator An imitator innovator I took one for me Let it wreck your mind I took one for me Let it wreck your mind Let it wreck your mind. I took one for me. Let it wreck your mind. Let it wreck your mind. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. 
FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 